0: Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim
1: religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Rev. Sarah Lindsay.
0: And I'm Rev. Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist Ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. Welcome to the second episode of Hope and Heresy. Today's episode is called House on Fire, and we're talking about climate change. This is a topic Peggy's been working
1: on for a while now. She's been an engaged activist around food and climate justice, and she actually was an observer delegate in Paris in 2015 at the writing of the Paris Climate Accord.
0: In today's episode, we'll talk about climate change as a spiritual problem
1: so we're talking about climate change today on the one hand because we said climate change and technology are the two foundational crises of our time and because we continue to have this disaster happening in australia so
0: so that's true that's what's happening in australia and one of the things that that some of us have been waiting for is like when does the disaster strike like at what point do people get do they wake up and Mm -hmm. australia is such a great example because they just had that election Mm -hmm. where they had a choice between being climate forward or really sort of doubling down on coal Mm -hmm. and by a hair they
1: Mm -hmm. voted
0: to double down on coal Mm -hmm. at which point The entire continent burst into flames. So, I mean, well, there's something to be said about, like, it doesn't really matter what you think you want. The planet is, it's happening whether you like it or not, whether you believe in it or not. It's what is real. So
1: if we weren't coming from the religious left, we might think it was God's retribution. We might. uh, We might. Well, and maybe it is. I just (laughs) want to say. (laughs) suppose it's possible. Um, Who's to know? But so this is an inter- this is the interesting question, right? This is one thing that I find fascinating. When when is the tipping point as an individual? Like does it have to be when I feel the impact personally of climate change because so many of us, especially in America, especially in the Northeast where we are, are pretty insulated at the moment if yes. we're wealthy enough, if we're white enough, yes. insulated from the effects of climate change, right? And so at the moment mm, you know the reasons to do it are not personally driven. The reasons to, to vote a certain way or to adopt different changes in my lifestyle would not be driven by self-interest in a narrow view. Well, in a really short-term view. In a short-term right? narrow view, they would not be driven by immediate self-interest, right. right? They're driven by being able to see the long view or by concern for my fellow humans well, and animals kids. and earth. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, and, but that's the long view. Again, that's the well, long. Well, it's not view. that long. I mean, just
0: to be really no, clear, right? We got on that, We've but. got 10 years. The window here is 10 years. It's actually kind of interesting to be doing this in 2020 because this is this is the year either we get very serious and move or we don't, but the window, we now have a decade. This is our decade by 2030. It is now too late to do anything. So here's my question for you, because I I have said that to people, I've heard that a million times.
1: But paint me a picture of what happens in 2030 if we do nothing. Like literally, the world doesn't explode. So what happens? The planet's going to be fine.
0: I mean, just to be clear.
1: Oh no, no, we agree on that. fine. humanity will eventually wipe out, and new things will evolve, and everything will be fine. (laughs) But but what does it mean to say in 10 years? What? In 10 years, we are too so, far down the road and nothing yes. will save it, but right. nothing materially changes for some of us between now and 2030.
0: Well, no, I think it will. And we're already seeing it, right? So okay. so something like um, in Australia, so what year? So it was like 28, 9, something like that. There were reports coming out of Australia that said some of the things that are going to happen will be extreme drought, which will lead to, to fire in a way we've really never experienced before.
1: Right. And
0: there was this sort of like, oh, we've had drought and fire before. But, but but when you actually experience, it's at a level that nobody could have imagined to have lost, say, a billion animals nobody
1: right, nobody knew even happens. just what the
0: grief would feel right, like to right. live in a place that was on fire without any hope of that changing so so but the the very what is it going to look like places that are um prone to drought like in the united states so that's in the american southwest become drier mm-hmm. places that are already hot become hotter some places like um the American Northeast will actually become wetter and colder. So for a little while, I think the idea was, well, if you're in the greater Hudson Valley, you're really kind of fine because we have such fertile land and it may get a little bit colder in the short term, but not in such a way that we will be able to grow food. But what we've learned is the wetter part of it is actually creating flooding so that our ability to grow food is diminishing. The cold is actually changing our frost dates so that we have to start planting later and Mm -hmm. stop planting earlier, which reduces our ability to grow food and sustain ourselves. So in 10 years, we'll see some change. It's at that point that we can't stop what's happening. It'll be in 10 to 15 years after that, that what we'll see is massive. Post-apocalyptic. Well, right. Like real food shortages. The planet simply can't grow food in the way that it does right now. And frankly, we're hovering a little bit as it is. We're not, we don't have a planet where there's really enough food for everybody all the time, which wasn't true a decade ago.
1: So 10 years inexorable decline, 25-ish years Mad Max type situation. Yes. Okay. Right. Unless- so here's the thing. I genuinely believe that many people, and I would count myself among them some of the time, have a very hard time conceiving even just 10 years or 25 years down the road, right? So, And the idea that we would be able to change millennia of behavior based in a particular attitude about Earth and animals and creatures and even other humans— like, I think that's the central challenge. It's not Absolutely. about, yep. right? Like, you have to change habits. You have to recycle. You have to, and I was a kid in the 80s and 90s, and there were huge campaigns around recycling right. and reusing and right. was it reduce, reuse, recycle, right? right? That was, like, the three R's. Um, like, waiting for us, saving, all of these things, right? Like, we've known about them. We've changed certain habits. But I think there's this fundamental way of looking at the world yeah. and the earth and what humanity is and its place in the hierarchy that that's the thing that's so hard to change yeah. and that's the thing like in a way climate change and what we're talking about 10 25 years down the road is a collective reckoning with our mortality right it's as hard as it is as an individual to think about your own death As a collective humanity, conceiving of the death of humanity is incredibly challenging, and doing that...
0: Well, almost impossible.
1: It may may almost be impossible, right? Which may be why you have to change the habits and sort of hope that eventually one day in another hundred and however many thousands of years people feel differently. But but it is really... um, That, to me, feels like the central sort of religious or spiritual challenge of climate change is actually that reckoning with what it would even mean have humanity disappear from the face of the earth.
0: Well, and I think actually this entire thing is a spiritual challenge. We have the science, so the science is done. Mm-hmm, and in mm-hmm. fact, scientists would have thought that we would have been over this already because they, they were, the answers have been presented. We have a completely free and, and eternal source of power in the sun. It, and we have right. ways of capturing and saving it. So the problem really isn't scientific. It's not that we can't solve this problem. It's really that we don't want to solve this problem. The problem hmm. is yeah. spiritual. It's really right. about... I mean, there's, part of it is a denial thing, just an inherent how do we survive, and part we survive because we don't always know how terrible things are. But there's also a sense of... Um, the undoing of our internal systems to reimagine the world, to, right. to reimagine what social systems look like. Well, right. uh, not just internal
1: systems, right? All of our systems, all of our right? Systems. Capitalism has to go out the window right. in its current is form, capitalism? Right. Right? Like? Like, like, that has capitalism, got to just get right? shoved right out the right. door because it doesn't work. There's capitalism, there's nationalism, there's right. all of these pieces of how our smaller and then larger society works right Right. every country and then the world itself and all of those things have to get fundamentally rethought right if we're going to and that's where it's sort of like you get a little paralyzed because climate change ties into every other piece of how we it's everything our values right like if I care about my wealth and my privilege more than I care about like and just everything gets tied into one and how you start to undermine that or dismantle it is really challenging well
0: and it becomes even more challenging when you have massive media systems Mm -hmm. that are and lobbying systems and corporate systems that are committed to you're not changing any of those things right when when we have a system part of right part of the capitalist system is that it always has to grow Right. Yes. So, so which which is fundamentally impossible and why we're in the right. situation we're in. Everything and pops eventually. as long as that be, that's our standard, right. there isn't any way for any of those corporations to even begin to want to have the conversation, except insofar as it might help them grow. Right. if right. they can get more customers, then they'll then they talk more to, about yeah. climate. But see, that's the, that's
1: the Western sort of cultural. Yeah um investment in progress and growth right. as those are the measures right. right the measure of success is progress <sighs> it's growth it's money it's you know as opposed to community or right,
0: right. so the change is the or, change is fundamental the change right. is is every one of our systems our economic systems our social systems so then the question is where how
1: did we get into this sort of circle of systems that we're in right and part of that I would say, and I won't be the first to say it, but part of that goes all the way back to interpretations of origin stories in the scriptures, right? The Hebrew scriptures and then the Christian interpretation of them, right? right? You go all the way back to Genesis and you get this question of God is handing down to humanity dominion over everything, which includes the animals and the earth itself, right? It's not, you know, you and I have talked about this before, it's not stewardship, it's ownership, which is really different, Right? But that's what the interpretation is. God on high has handed us these things right. and they're ours to destroy or right. save or whatever we're going to do. But they're ours as if we own
0: them. Well, in the very monotheistic concept that God is somehow outside of earth, mm-hmm. that this is not ensouled, mm-hmm, that it mm-hmm. is it is given as gift and material object rather than the very nature of God itself.
1: Right. No no god definitely exists like on a cloud out somewhere right. beyond right.
0: earth and beyond right. all that is. Right so as soon as monotheism starts right we have set ourselves up for this. Right. Right. right and i would i would say that Descartes pushed us even further by talking about you know i think therefore i am. Right thereby silencing all of the voices of all of nature and saying the only ones who exist are those who think. When you are self-conscious, then you are of value. Right. Sentience equals being at the top of the heap. Right. But also it's this interesting
1: thing, right, where if you've got a God who's giving away gifts to the creatures that he creates, right, Right. you're setting up, even that itself sets up a hierarchy of being and understanding, right? So you've got God, then you've got You know, men, white men. then You move down the line. Right. So
0: we have this pyramid, this hierarchical system of what life has value. Right. Right. So at the very top, you've got like white, educated, Christian, wealthy, able-bodied, cisgendered, straight men between the ages of like (laughs) thirty and seventy. Yeah. Right. And then, but but identity is complicated. So so you move sort of around this pyramid up and down depending on. Oh, yeah. You know, all kinds of things. So you may be most of those things, but not straight or not able-bodied, right? Yeah. But if you still have money and you're still American and Christian. Right. You can still sort of. Right. So, and then at the very bottom of that is soil. Right. So... What we value the least is right. is planetary. It's just the earth itself, the right. stuff of earth. That's why we're always having to say Black Lives Matter because in the in this pyramid, people of color don't find they're never going to be on the top because we are so strictly hierarchical. But if we were to turn that over and start saying that that life has value, right. if we stopped looking at say you know, a half an acre of land filled with trees and saying Mm. there's nothing there, which we do, right? We look at it and say there's nothing there. Like you can build on that, right? There's nothing there. And without noticing that there are Hundreds of trees. The trees are there. The animals are there.
1: And frankly, we now know that the trees have systems of, like you've read these articles, right? The trees have systems of communicating. Is Bill McKibben? Is that that book that I'm thinking of? Where it talks about the networks of communication with the roots of the the trees, right? Like they may not be sentient in our understanding of that word or capable of communicating to our satisfaction, Right. right? But there is a way in which the earth itself is alive. Of course. And we just don't. Like to think of it
0: that way. Oh, well, we don't we don't see it in the same way. We don't we don't see a lot of life, and we, we judge life according to its value to humans. Right. Right. So so when the songbirds were going extinct, the argument to stop them from going extinct at the turn of the last century was really about the their songs are so pretty. It's so pretty, right? <laughs> we will miss we, them we, so much, <laughs> right? We really like it, rather than the the bird is alive and deserves right. to be alive. What I always think is fascinating about that actually, though, is if you take seriously
1: Genesis and a creator God, right? If you take that seriously, then everything that exists is a creation of that God. So wouldn't protecting it be part of the impetus, right? Like, And I guess that's where that moment of giving it away is significant. But couldn't the argument have been songbirds were created by the God that created us? And God does everything with intention. So why... Would we allow one of God's creations to disappear? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, so within the system, you could have still been valuing Earth right. in a way that we didn't, yes. Right. But I think that ultimately, the capitalist system is what really informs us. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the Christian system... No, it's it's a know, mix,
1: right? The Protestant right. sort of... Well, and even, of, I mean, right. even in the medieval period, right, you have a total
0: melding of capitalism and religion in right. this crazy way. So. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's a capitalist system that, that has really defined, I mean, it's done it in partnership with Christianity, mm-hmm. and with this mm-hmm. idea of stewardship, and and then the you know the whole idea of election, and if you are successful, it's because you've been chosen by God, and the more you believe right. that, the more you can right. really exploit earth, because right. it proves your own right salvation well and the other piece here right is if you
1: believe in a god that's going to bring you into some beautiful afterlife or condemn you to some hellacious eternity then what you do here it takes the it takes the focus off of earth and your life here right? right the focus is on i mean frankly our lives are short right right my hopefully you know fingers crossed 90 year old life 90-year-long life compared to eternity somewhere else, right? Who gives a crap what I do here for 90 years? It's what's going to happen
0: after that matters more. Right, so the call is to compassion, because if people 50 years ago cared more about the the next generation, we wouldn't be in this situation.
1: If you can come at it from a religiously liberal perspective, right, where you're not taking a strict interpretation of Scripture that says God gave us ownership over all things— and instead, you can start to privilege, and you can walk away from the capitalist system, right? Mm-hmm. At least on some level, the values of a capitalist system, a distorted one, distorted values of a capitalist system. And you can start to privilege community, life in all its forms. It does. It breeds a certain kind of compassion, right? Like chicken and egg, I guess. So that's, maybe that's the question. Do we teach compassion? Well, that's yeah,
0: hard. I mean, I think we have to teach, you know, love. <laughs> can you teach that? I think yeah. I, you can <laughs> teach it. You can definitely teach it. We're going to have to teach it. I mean, you can cultivate it. I you, guess can you can cultivate, cultivate it, it. Right. Um, for the planet, yeah. I mean, there is this sense of of detachment. Hmm. I mean, we're in New York City. In some ways, it feels. We are completely detached yeah. from anything natural, except the reality is the room we're in right now might be in a building, but all of the materials came from earth. We, we think of nature, and then we think of second nature. We forget second nature starts with nature. We are not really as separate from it as our experience might um, because we've been, we've been taught not to notice it. Right. No, I mean, even
1: if you you live in the concrete jungle, right? Does anybody say that about New York City anymore? I feel like that's what people (laughs) used to say when I was young. (laughs) But even if you live in a big city like New York, um, yeah, you are not, you know, the concrete didn't magically appear as concrete. Like, it doesn't... And and in fact, I have to I have to say I think you know New York does a pretty decent job in a lot of its neighborhoods of cultivating green spaces and trees and I mean all things considered, right. our local public school is getting a green roof you mm-hmm. know they're working on it you know so there's there are ways that even in cities people are cultivating well a sense of closeness to. if we're really
0: honest it's actually in cities where we have far most... more hope than we do in the yeah because we're living much
1: more ecologically we really friendly. are yeah much oh yeah I remember being at Disney World like. God knows how many years ago. I think it was like probably 20 years ago, and my mother and I were on this ride. I was at Disney World with my mother, do laugh. <laughs> And we were on this ride, though, and it was something It was something to do with climate change. And it was something to do with the care of the earth. And at the end, you had to do this little survey, and it asked you, it was essentially like a, a, a primitive form of assessing your carbon footprint. Mm. And it was like, do you live in a house or do you live in an apartment? Do you da 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 And we answered the questions. We were you know New York City dwelling folks, and our answers were like so much better than the people we were there with, right, in terms of being environmentally friendly friendly and living in a way that was sort of minimally you know so it's an interesting it's it is interesting to consider that at first blush if you live in a city you are detached from nature but in fact you're serving nature better in many ways and really you're not that detached
0: Maybe, but it, it, it is true. <laughs> it is maybe. true. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think a lot of people are detached, but I think the people are detached almost regardless of where they live. Right. I think we've just built up. So here's a, but here's a question for you. Okay, so, um,
1: so we talk about climate change and we do these things of going in ten years, there's nowhere left to go, and in twenty five years, we're all going to be, you know, living in the desert not having baths, whatever. Right. So like, but but is that the way to get people to change? No. Right, it isn't, right? Like fear, fear-mongering about it isn't working. It hasn't worked. No, and and neither fact, has science. <laughs> like, I let's be real.
0: I actually think that um, the climate, I think that we have such negativity about this because those people who want us to not address this issue, and so those would be, really the, the oil industry mm-hmm. and the people who benefit from that, which mm-hmm. tend to be very wealthy, and right. some of those are media moguls, and then politicians who gain a lot of money from it. Yep. So that group of people, they seem to have created a pretty potent cocktail of climate denialism and fear. And then they partner that with conservative media and mm-hmm. have created a full blown culture mm. that moves us away from the possibility of really being able to address this. Mm-hmm. I don't think that fear is going to be the thing that moves us right. into really untangling ourselves from any of those systems. Yeah. I do think, though, that it is wise for us to know the truth, right. it doesn't make us. Um, any smarter to sort of move away from fear altogether we don't get any closer to where we need to be but I do think that what does move us closer is recognizing what's true and then really starting to get at least this is what I've been doing getting excited about the possibility of what's next mm-hmm. and we tend to look at this with this lens of Oh my! You know everything's gonna have to change, and this is mm-hmm. gonna be so hard, and no one's really gonna dismantle capitalism, and this is never gonna work, and I really like my SUV anyway, and it's a mm-hmm. hybrid, so it's fine, and mm-hmm. right, and just be sort of living the way that we can. I will do my best to reuse plastic, and I'll be okay. Right. And instead, we need to be excited about the alternative reality we could be creating here. We. And I, I believe that we will get more people on board, not just because they know they have to leave something behind, mm-hmm. but because what it is we're embracing is actually so good. You wonder why we don't get there faster. Right. So I totally agree with you.
1: And I, I want to just, like, I feel like there's a couple of problems, right? One, if we go back to what you said a minute ago, like we have to know the truth. We have to, we live now, part of that culture that's been built is a culture in which truth is not actually as meaningful as it once was, right? Like, So that that's a fundamental problem, right? Yes. That, that complex of things, capitalism, whatever it is, greed, racism, patriarchy, yes. all of these things wrapped up in that now is this whole thing around fact versus fiction and what's right. true and what's fake and what's, yep. and so you have this sort of primary. So if we can't come at it with, here's a true fact, whether it's fear inducing or not, it's a true fact that in 10 to 25 years, Things will be radically different whether you want them to be or not. If that doesn't work for the majority of the population, right, how do you, what is the picture you paint to get excited about that's exciting enough to leave the thing that even if it isn't that great, I've been taught that it's great, right? Like That's part of the problem. We've internalized that it's great to be at the top of this hierarchical heap, right? It's great to seek progress and growth. It's great to be, you know, in a capitalist patriarchal system. Like that's the lie, right? And if nobody wants to hear the truth, and I don't mean nobody, obviously, but if vast swaths of the people don't want to hear the truth, how do you sell them a different vision of what's possible?
0: Well, first, I I, I wouldn't try. I really you wouldn't even try. No. Yeah. No. Okay. It is.
1: You just get a core to go. Well,
0: so uh, It is helpful to know that we're watching those industries now move into a defensive stance. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they're no longer um, just sort of shrugging and saying, no, that's ridiculous. They realize that culture has shifted Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. most people have embraced the idea that climate collapse is real. real. They may not have... We haven't come to full consensus across the board around what that means. I or mean, how to deal with it. So, well, scientists have, and, right, and right. a huge portion of the population has, but certainly within the conservative circles, they haven't. But while So we have, on the one hand, they're starting to take this defensive stance. And on the other hand, I don't care at all. Mm-hmm. I, because you're not really talking about – you're talking about people with a lot of power and money, and you're talking about conservative media and all the people that they reach. To be completely honest, and this is crass – They're not the young people. Younger people really are the ones who know and who get it and are going to be the ones moving this forward. And the way that culture shifts is never by starting at the top. Right. No, of course. So the way that we shift this is by... I know we keep coming back to the same idea, but I really think it's like the source of our salvation is small communities. Mm -hmm. It's creating communities where like-minded people are shifting culture together and then connecting like little cell blocks Mm -hmm. with other like-minded people shifting culture. That's how it becomes bigger. And that's how it's already becoming bigger. Right. I mean, you and I are random people. We're not scientists. We're not right. That's true. And yet, we're we're there. We're already there. And everyone we know is is already there. But it's not like we're all doing well, everything so, we should be doing. But we we get that. Yeah. So that right. So that's the piece that I think is
1: fascinating. Right. Is that we get it, but this has been true. This has been true. And I feel like I talk about this all the time, um, on Sunday mornings. Is that we know what we should be doing, right? We know what's necessary to to work on climate change and dismantle patriarchy and dismantle racism like we we understand intellectually that those are necessary and we know real steps and we still don't do it right i'll admit i still don't do everything i should be doing right. for climate change like right. i still live in certain ways that are right. not we all do. Yeah. helpful to the planet right <laughs> and so but but that is where you bump up against it's not just about habits it's about lifestyle it's about a willingness to change, and change is so hard for some Well, people, and the change right? you're talking about is
0: massive. Right. I mean, were we to change there's a good chance I wouldn't be working in New York City, because I, right. I live right. in, in Westchester, right? So I have to right. commute to work. Right. Now, I happen to work in a place that's really flexible, and I can work some days from home, and right. some people get that. But yeah, you're talking about a fundamental shift in the way we do everything. Yeah, which is it's- actually what I think is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. It's what the world is going to look like if we start taking this seriously. Right. But we need to uh, create new social norms that say it's okay. We don't have to, say, have the next meeting in person. We'll meet by Zoom. Right. We don't have to um, all be in the same place at the same time. We don't have to commute to work. People can start working yeah. from home, but then also building new social networks so that Wherever home is, hmm. there are working groups. People can be together because everyone just being in their own space also gets isolating. Right. And,
1: and this is where like leveraging technology for good, right. But not letting it overtake. Right. This is why we'll talk about technology in a couple minutes. Right. <laughs> um, but that you know, but that's where I think it really is a fundamental. That is a fundamental change in spiritual orientation. Yes. Right. What we're asking for or what we think is necessary is a fundamental change in what values and ways of being we privilege. Right. right. It's a move from privileging hierarchies to sort of democratic communities or, or sort of more flattened communities. Right. Where right. everybody it's a move from growth and capitalism and money and greed to sustainability and health and safety as opposed to progress and growth. Right. right. Like, and those are foundational spiritual orientations
0: right right and which is why the revolution is going to be spiritual it'll be supported by technology mm-hmm. it'll be informed by science but the revolution is spiritual
1: yeah
0: or well, there's no revolution at all right clearly because there would have been we would have already gotten that. yes,
1: yes it's yep. based on material things it would have happened right. ages ago
0: right yeah. if it was a matter of this is what the science is and this is where we're going it would have we would have just changed it
1: then there's this other piece that's about um, where the hierarchy where even if you know what's necessary and even if the material evidence is so strong, the internalized lies about power and rights and who can make demands and who can shape society, right? That part of why I think the revolution hasn't happened is because so many of us have internalized that it's not our right or position or place to make the demands or to make the changes or to spearhead the, the new world, right? Uh,
0: is it that we don't feel like we have the right or is it that we don't feel like we have the power? I don't know. I don't know because, well,
1: I think it's, I think it's that we don't have the power. We don't. Right? But that, as a result of having been denied the power, we internalize some sense that it isn't our place or position or right, right? I think that's all shifting, I do. I agree with you. It's shifting young people, I get it, I get it, and at the moment, so much power is held in the hands of not the young people. so when does it you
0: know? well so we're small communities to start forming and becoming intentional. I think that they are already, right, but becoming intentional, we also start shifting our power base so that we can decide things like we are i mean look we just saw this happen in connecticut right a few people decided we're not going to be using plastic bags anymore we're going to be bringing our own bags to the point of shifting the entire culture of the Mm -hmm. state so that you now can no longer get a plastic bag in a store none of those individual people who are carrying their own bags to a store felt powerful but with a little bit of time and a little bit of connecting with their neighbors around it, the entire state has absorbed a new value. Mm. That keeps happening. Yeah. Now, it is in no way helpful when our government, when the administration rolls back regulations. And at the same time, when you start educating people about what the regulations are, it's so horrific mm. that... There is a new shift in energy around it, right? I right. mean, the one that was just changed, which I think is, like, I think it's 50 years old. I think it was 50 years this this year that for every new development, corporations had to um, create environmental impact statements mm-hmm. to say, what is the environmental impact of whatever it is that we're about to do? Right. They don't have to do it anymore, right? right. The The new well, – that's not true. The new proposal is that they don't have to do that anymore. Right. Well, that's outrageous to think yeah. that corporations should be that Freed. completely unregulated. Yeah. Well, enough people know about that, and we start shifting the expectations from the bottom right. instead of from the top. I mean, that's how these things change. I also really think that climate collapse is um, imminent and coming to our door and there won't be any real way of pretending that's not true.
1: I said this the other week actually, that, that essentially whether we want it to or not, it's happening. So whether it right. feels paralyzing or not, it's coming. And we can right. either actively choose how to meet it or we can simply be the victims of its onslaught, right? Like that's fundamentally, we cannot ignore that it will come. We, we can decide to try to stop it or slow it down, but it's happening. Right. Denying it doesn't right. make it any different. Right.
0: So how do we get the, the spiritual fortitude right. to move forward with it?
1: Well, it's so interesting. You know, I, I found, um, it's a couple of years ago now. And I, I found this quite soothing, actually, in some bizarre way. You can tell me what you think. But it, um, in the course of reading up on this stuff for a sermon one day, uh, I came into this notion, and I think it was Joanna Macy, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you know enough. Um, but, but the idea is that no matter what happens to humanity, the earth will continue to live, right? right. So, so human beings get wiped out by some enormous climate event, whatever. But that the Earth itself may face challenge but won't die literally. Right. And then from that, you know, know, evolution, (laughs) right, well, yeah, after enough time it would probably thrive again, right? And evolution will bring some other sort of life and some sort of creatures and life with a big L is not going to end simply because humanity ends. Right. And I actually found that quite comforting in the sense of, the, the, the worst case scenario here is humanity disappears <laughs> and something else comes to be in its place. And for me, that felt like spiritually that felt soothing in a way, mm-hmm. right? That my because if what I understand is that life with a big L being with a big B isn't just about humanity, right? It's about something bigger than we are then knowing that that would continue mm. in some way weirdly takes a little bit of the pressure off mm. and makes it slightly less paralyzing. And then it becomes a question of, do I think that humanity is worth saving? Right? And maybe some people would say no based on our recent behavior. But but for me, the answer is yes, it is. But it's going to require a lot of change and a lot of recasting of how we understand life and being. Yep. Right. Um. But there was, yeah, there was something quite sort of therapeutic in that for me. I don't know.
0: You know, Joanna Macy is one of the few people out there who has a spiritual response Mm -hmm. to the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. And she would start by saying that um, the first thing we need is gratitude, Mm -hmm. which is free, Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. really takes the bite out of corporate culture. It's not that you have to buy something. Right. And in fact, when you're told that you need something new, you need a new car, a new sweater, that new mm. something that's going to make you happy. It's a shift into gratitude that really is the resistance that right. we need. It allows you to go, I'm actually grateful for the car I currently have. Right. I do
1: not need a new one. Right. Yeah. We don't
0: need to keep creating yeah. and growing and building. Right. And, and next we shift into grief being able to really feel it, Mm -hmm. not being afraid of it. The only way to get through this is to face into what's real Mm. and really allow each other to feel profound pain Mm -hmm. over what's lost. Mm -hmm. I think then about Australia and what it is to live in a country that's on fire and the tremendous loss that... In terms of my my own kid isn't going to have the life that I had. Mm -hmm. There's something really to grieve there. But then to move out of that Mm -hmm. into this new way of knowing the world and knowing that there's something to save Mm -hmm. and to really shift ourselves into another way of being grateful, Mm -hmm. sort of profoundly, powerfully Mm -hmm. grateful, and then translating that into action Mm -hmm. and gathering other people and moving back into the world and, and cycling around again, she would say, and you gather other people, you move into the world, you take some action, and it starts in gratitude. Mm. And you sort of keep moving through I mean, this. Yeah. But that is the spiritual um, process, it seems to me. Mm. A, we don't need a scientific process. Right. We already have that. But right. we do need the spiritual process of how is it that we really move from that sense of paralysis mm. into transformative life. And, mm-hmm. and for me, it's a lot about getting um, excited about what happens when you gather with those other people and you move out into the world mm-hmm. and that new world that's being created. I mean, I, I am the world's worst gardener. And that's interesting because I run a small nonprofit where people garden and grow their own food, which I cannot do at all. But I like to hang out with people who can because then they feed my family. <laughs> but but when I do that, I feel like this is the kind of empowerment right. of we can do this. We can gather in small communities and mm-hmm. grow enough food to feed our families without participating in the global food market right. that is on the verge of collapse. And right. those kinds of very concrete things, ways mm-hmm. that we partner with mm-hmm. each other, envision a new world, and then make it happen, yeah. to me that's incredibly exciting. It's far more exciting than any of what we have going on right now and and would really and does really propel me forward into something that's, you know, gorgeous. We've come to the end of our podcast and it is time for our action item. How do you get involved? So this
1: week we're encouraging you to... Stop eating meat in some fashion or form. So maybe it's just one day a week. You cut back on eating meat, specifically beef. Right.
0: Beef really makes a big difference.
1: Right. If you're going to have beef, make sure it's grass fed. But try to go at least one day a week, no meat. Grab a couple friends. Maybe have a meatless potluck.
0: Or even like start a little, I started a Facebook group, Meatless Monday. So people can just post recipes. What are you going to eat tomorrow? Let's do it with somebody yeah even even if it's one day a week and it's not just about reducing your own carbon and in this case methane footprint it's also about knowing that we're not totally powerless there's something we can do we can be part of a solution so we're asking everyone to just dive in a little bit be part of the solution
1: so being part of the solution that's a hopeful notion what is our moment of hope today peggy
0: so it's it's a depressing story right i mean climate change not good but there are these real pockets of leadership so in our country there's um there's a backing off we're pulling out we are demonstrating uh moral ineptitude (laughs) but (laughs) but the international community is not so my my sense of hope this week really comes from the united nations so every year the united nations has a cop a conference of parties on climate change this year is the 26th but this year because of where we are in terms of it's being 2020 and having this 10-year window um, the conference is in glasgow and there's going to be a real sort of buckling down on exactly What is it that people have done? So in Paris, everyone committed to something. This is where everyone um, demonstrates how that's working and how they're upping their game. And that is, for me, very hopeful. And we're also going to have the United Nations is having a conference on oceans and a separate one on biodiversity. So for me, there's a real sense in the international community with or without the United States, we're making this happen. And that's different. Because before Paris, the idea was if the United States isn't on board, nothing moves forward. And now the rest of the planet is saying, we don't need them. We know how to do this. So for me, that's our moment of hope. Thanks. It's good to see you. We'll you see too. You, see you next week. All right. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Because why can't I be the one who says Sorry. see you next week? You do it. You do it. You say it you next week. See you next week. <laughs> I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> Not if I see you first.